Our scripture reading today is from the book of Exodus and the Gospel of John. First, a reading from Exodus chapter 17. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massah and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? And now a reading from John chapter four. But Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Please join me in prayer. Gracious and loving and almighty God, your word is a lamp to our feet. We ask that this morning the light of your word would point us to Jesus, in whom we trust and live. Amen. Well, I'm so grateful for many of you who are safe in your homes. We're praying for many others who are unwell in body and our mind in this difficult time. And we are longing for the day when we'll all be back together in this place, whenever that may be. Life is fragile. And human life, more than most, you know, if you stop to think about it, we are part of a really unusual species, born into a state of helplessness that far exceeds most other species in the world. We're thrust into life as infants in the most abrupt and unceremonious fashion, utterly unable to fend for ourselves, unable to eat and drink without assistance, unable to walk. At the beginning of our life, we are literally infantile. No wonder we come into this world wailing like it's the end of the world. What other member of the animal kingdom is like that? Like us. Now I know we're quick to find our stride and we don't often dwell on this part except to fawn over baby pictures. We learn to forget that feeling of helplessness or at least we do a heck of a job 
pushing it aside. But we forget to our peril. For when we do, we lose a bit of ourselves. After all, we never ever really and truly transcend the, fr- the fragility of life. That is the gift of a story like the one we just heard. A story of an entire community, a whole nation, facing a moment of dire crisis. As they grapple with the fear in their hearts and the dangers that surround them, the wilderness becomes a place of learning. By bringing them face to face with their mortality, the desert of Horeb, The wilderness teaches the people of God at least two things. First, the wilderness can be a place of alienation. It can drive us apart from each other in the very moment we need each other most. And second, the wilderness can be a place of surprising connection, reminding us that life is more than surviving. It is being and and belonging together. So a place of alienation, as well as a place of connection. First, let's consider the wilderness as a place of alienation. When confronted with our weaknesses, it can bring out our worst instincts. I know it's anachronistic, but this story reads like a scene out of your local Safeway or Costco this past week. Did you notice the people in this story turning on one another? Their actions are driven by self-preservation and self-pity, and it drives them apart. In the wilderness, the people of Israel realize in a fresh way just how vulnerable they are, and they are filled with anxiety and dread, and they point all of that negative energy towards one another. Now, these people, mind you, have been through a lot, After the horrors of slavery, they had only recently begun to hope again. Maybe, they thought, our best years are ahead of us. Or maybe, learning to trust again, they thought, God is on our side. And this particular story, it's a moment when they find themselves wondering if their lives will come to an anticlimactic end in the middle of nowhere. It is perhaps a fear we understand today in a way we didn't just a few weeks ago. The people are thirsty, but it's more than thirst. They are fearful for their lives, and that is why they are grumbling. And so the wilderness as a place of alienation also leads to self-pity. We know this. Nothing like a little self-pity to distort how you see the world. In the wilderness, neighbors become enemies and friends start turning on each other. Maybe you can't be trusted. Maybe no one cares. Maybe God has abandoned us. Surely we were better off in Egypt, some begin to whisper. At least there we knew what we were up against. The wilderness is not just a place of vulnerability. It is also a place of conspiracy theories and threats around every corner. And the fog of fear drives people apart. 
As out of touch with reality as their response may seem, it is also one of the most realistic responses we can imagine. Listen to the self-pity in Moses' words. What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. Never mind the fact that the people are afraid. They're thirsty and their hearts are filled with fear and dread. But Moses could care less about their plight. He is too busy feeling sorry for himself and licking his wounds. Such is the wilderness. It is a place of alienation that leads to the worst instincts of self-preservation and self-pity. All of that is true, and the wilderness is also a place of surprising connection. In this story, we have the cold realism of alienation in the wilderness, but there is more. Yes, it's a place of danger and thirst, a source of suspicion and distorted memories, and it is also the place where God shows up. And he does so to break the cycle of suspicion and alienation and division. Moses withdraws from the people, complaining to God, looking for solace. But in verse 5, God tells Moses to go out in front of the people and to take some of the elders of Israel, reminding him he is not alone in any of this. And that's not all, for God too will be there. Listen to verse 6. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, says God. To Moses, who feels all alone, God says, you are not alone. We'll do this together, says God. And then finally, there is this strange miracle of water from the rock. Now, this is where some of you will say that this story of water from the rock demonstrates everything that is wrong with religion. Water from a rock, they would say. Who can believe in miracles like that? But I want to suggest to you today that we are witnesses of this type of miracle more often than we think, especially in these days of fear and anxiety. We see it in doctors who care for the sick among us putting themselves in harm's way. We see it in the stories of public servants doing the work, not only doing the work they signed up for, but also juggling work they never fathomed. We see it in neighbors posting signs to help the homebound, especially the elderly. We see that miracles are possible that strangers can care for, for one another, even without bonds of friendship and family. My dear friends, if this is not water from the rock, I don't know what is. You see, we can know this story of water in the wilderness to be true because in moments of great strain, we have seen it. We have tasted it. And every day, our parched souls long for more of it. Let us be thankful, but let us also ready ourselves. For God only knows how much more of this water-from-the-rock kind of love we will need in the coming days. 
in a world where college students are evicted from their dorms and the homeless have no running water with which to wash their hands and the elderly are increasingly isolated. When youthful exuberance puts the most vulnerable among us at greater risk, when we worry about loved ones we cannot protect, when we realize that social distancing means social clustering with people that are already driving us up the wall, we're going to need this water from the rock kind of love when we realize that the ethic of Jesus commands us to consider our neighbors' lives more important than our own. For our part as a church, we're going to be implementing new ways both to share our needs and also to volunteer our help and our service. So I encourage you to be on the lookout in the coming days on our website and our various social media channels. But in closing, let me invite you to ponder one more mystery. God who rained meat and bread from heaven just one chapter before in Exodus 16. This God could certainly have rained water down from heaven, no? Instead, he chooses an unlikely instrument. He chooses a rock. Why would God do that? Well, I want to suggest to you that in this moment of desperation for the people, God heard not just loud cries of complaint. God also heard the quiet fears that lay beneath. Why did God make water flow from a rock? Because it was not enough for the people to drink. It was important that they learn to trust again, to embrace the wonder of living and the joy of hoping and the thrill of life that lies beyond the grip of terror. Let's be clear, this is not God showing off. Or an ancient text, clueless about the laws of nature, told by an unskilled storyteller, conjuring water from an unlikely source. This is a picture of God who points beyond our present circumstances. This is God telling us there is more to life than what we see. Life beyond our feeble imaginings. With water from the rock, something you and I could never do on our own, he invites us to trust not in ourselves, but in God. Let's face it we are much more likely to relate to the realism in the first part of this story than the miracle in the second half. The realism of a story where people fight and turn on each other and feel sorry for themselves, we can relate to that story. But the story of a rock pouring forth water, we shake our heads at it. It sounds too good to be true. And yet, if this story is true, then maybe there is hope for the likes of us and our stony hearts. This, after all, is the invitation of God in our gospel reading from John chapter 4. A God who not only gives us water, but comes, as, comes to us as one outcast and rejected. God Almighty who comes in human form asking us for water. Jesus, who comes to us today, 
and asks us, we of the hard, dry, barren, crusty, stony hearts, do we have water to give? Dear friends, parched though you may be, anxious though you may be, lost in the wilderness though you may be, take heart, for there is a God who makes water flow from a rock, a spring of water welling up to life evermore. This is good news for a world in great distress. This is the miracle of water from a rock. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.